The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. But the scripture that came to mind was the one from Luke 13, where Jesus is saying um, that the Father or God longs to treat you like a hen gathers his chicks and bring you under his wing, that, that passage. And it says, Jesus says, but you are not willing. Um, I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you are not willing. And I really wanted to, I guess, encourage or challenge whoever that might be for, that God's heart is for you, that he really longs to bring you to a place of safety and to nurture you under his care and under his wing and to not be afraid to trust him. No matter what you've been through, what you've, you're going through, uh, what you've done, he longs to, to be that safe place for you and that you can find refuge and you can find rest and safety in his care. And so I just want to encourage you to seek him, to trust him, to come to him uh, in openness and surrender wherever you're at. So if that's for you, I pray that that encourages you. Let me pray and we get into the Word. Father, thank you for today. I I pray that, Lord, uh, whoever that message, that Word was for, that they would be encouraged to come to you in in faith and in surrender and, and to rely on you as that mother hen that is so protective and nurturing. And Lord, I pray for us as we come around your word and as we consider what you're saying to us as your community, as your people today, that you will speak into our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see, it's a nice, easy passage we have today. Many of us would be familiar with the saying, um, lots of chiefs, not enough Indians. And many organizations are characterized by that dilemma. And that saying speaks to this idea that inherently all of us really want to be in charge. All of us want autonomy to be self-directing, to not have other people tell us what to do. And whether we admit that or not, I think it's true because it takes us back to Genesis and the fallen state of humanity. That was essentially our problem. We wanted to be self-directing. We wanted to be God. And this whole idea of submitting to somebody else, following somebody else, kind of sticks in our throat in different ways. And so this morning we're coming to these passages where the, the author directly speaks to this congregation about how to relate to their leaders. And it's interesting because the Bible in, in several places talks to leaders about how to lead well. And this is probably one of the clearest and most descriptive parts on fellowship, if you like, or how to follow leaders. Uh, And so there's some interesting things here for us to consider. And like we've been saying in every talk in our series so far, we're we're partway through a series on transforming faith in a faithful God, that this is only possible to the extent that we understand the gospel. This is, this is so counterintuitive in, into our human hearts that it's not till we fully or, or get a greater revelation of the creator of the universe that became human, that became a baby. More than that, that Jesus, the son who completely submitted to the will of his father and said, not my will, but yours be done. Until we, we get a revelation that we follow a savior who lived this out ultimately by laying down his life for you and for me on a cross as a demonstration of his commitment to fulfill the will of his father. 
And, and beyond that, it's in this gospel that we have the hope that we are free from our egos and our selfishness and our pride. It's the gospel that gives us the assurance that we are so loved that we don't need to control others and fear their control and, and the whole thing about trying to save face and shame and all of those things that make us want to control and be domineering and dominating and oppressive that we can let others lead and follow them because we've been transformed within. And that's why I want to suggest to you that, that it's not accidental that between 7 and 9, verses 7 and 9, and 17 and 19, the writer inserts a whole passage about reminding this congregation about the gospel that he's been articulating for the last t- the 10 chapters from Hebrews 1 to 10. Um, and Lewis next week will be concluding our series by looking at that section. Because he, again, he knows, I think, how challenging it is for people to follow leaders. Whether it's in your workplace, at school, in church. It's not till we've come to a greater understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us in the cross. And how our hearts are made new and how God has demonstrated his faithfulness to us that we can embrace and, and live out this truth to follow others. So the writer here tells us six things that these are instructions that he gives to this congregation on what it looks like to relate to their leaders and how to follow well. And again, these like the things we talked about last week are kind of self-explanatory and kind of obvious. So we're going to focus on what he's saying to us in terms of how we follow leaders. But in an indirect way, also consider what Christian leadership ought to look like because the writer kind of says both things to us. So the first thing he says is remember your leaders. Now, verses 7 and seven to 9 seems to be focusing on previous leaders, leaders who seem to have died, possibly been martyred through the persecution that's taken place in this church, whereas verses 17 to 19 seem to focus on their current leaders. So he says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. That's the first instruction. Remember. But this is not just a fond recollection. This is not about having a memorial service to kind of remember these people who have who've gone. The way the writer describes and the word he, words he used carry this idea of remembering and responding to the words that were taught to you. In other words, this is about remembering the instruction that those previous leaders have given you. Remember the things that they taught you. Remember the the word of God that they inputted into your life and respond, do, apply, live out the things that they have deposited into your heart. Now, he's not suggesting blind following, just whatever comes out of the leader's mouth is the word of God and we should uncritically, unquestioningly just obey and follow and live it out not at all because verse 9 he says to them he warns them don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings so he's aware that leaders can get it wrong but he's saying remember those leaders who faithfully taught you the word are you living that out are you following through with the discipleship that has been invested into you? And I know as a leader, and I know many leaders here in their connect groups or in youth or kids or whatever, there is nothing more frustrating than talking to someone about the same problem for years and years and years. When you've said, but the, this, is, this is discipleship. This is how you need to grow. This is how you need to mature. This is what God wants for you. And to kind of circle around and circle around and circle around because they're not applying the teachings of God's word. 
So he's saying, remember and respond. Uh, for the leaders, it, I love this because for leaders, this makes it very, very clear that a, a core th- a factor about leadership is discipleship. It's not about positions. It's not about titles. It's not about authority, even though he does talk about that. Essentially, leadership is about teaching what Jesus said in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Teach them to obey all that I have instructed. It's teaching people the Word of God. And so for a leader, it's critical that we know this book, that we live this book ourselves, that we're immersed in this book, and that the Word of God grips our heart so that we are discipling others in the Word of God. In the Word of God. So remember and respond. Remember the previous pastors. And like, think about your own life. We celebrated Pastor Bert's funeral just a couple of weeks ago. What a wonderful testimony of his faithful ministry as people came who were discipled by Bert and June over many years and, and remembered how much they had shaped their faith. And as you think about other godly men and women in your life that have discipled you over the years, don't just remember them fondly, but remember what they've taught you and live that out. That's the first instruction. The second thing he says is consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Consider and imitate. Consider and imitate. He's saying examine their life. See, these two instructions go hand in hand. He's saying to them, don't just blindly follow leaders who just talk the talk. Follow leaders who walk the walk. Consider their life. Examine their life. Look at how they're living out their Christian life. Look at how they are following Jesus. Consider and then imitate them. Know their heart. Know what they're characterized by. This is a word that speaks to many, many cultures that want to elevate leaders to you know, a place where they're infallible and, and where there's a discrepancy between what they teach and how they live. But the, the author here says, no, consider them examine their character, not get caught up with their their giftedness. And there are very, very capable, skilled, talented, gifted preachers and teachers who are amazing leaders up front. But he's saying, no, no, look beyond that. Look beyond a person's gift and examine their character. The challenge for churches is to make this a possibility where leaders and people that are following them actually know each other well enough to do this. Like Paul said to the Thessalonians when he ministered with them, you you know the way I lived among you. And that's why we love connect groups. And that's why we love areas where there is transparency and leaders and people under their care really know each other and are walking alongside each other so that we can consider and then imitate, follow their example. So that like for leaders, this is like being able to, like Paul, say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus. As leaders, this is our responsibility to, to not get so focused on our giftedness or our capabilities or our talents or our abilities and neglect our character. That we are walking with Jesus, that his life is shaping us and molding our character. And that the people that we are leading, they know that there is transparency, that we are real with our own struggles, with, with our own challenges, with our own difficulties. We're not pretending that we've got it all together. That there is a reality and an authenticity in the character of us as leaders. Consider and imitate. The third thing he goes on to say is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is probably one of the most famous verses from Hebrews. 
Most of you would know that. And it's interesting that he, it comes in this context of talking about leaders, talking about false teaching. And I think the point he's trying to make is for congregations to remember who their focus ought to really be on. Because no matter how good leaders are, they're human. They're temporal. They're fallible. And I think this speaks so powerfully to, again, many cultures around the world where we elevate leaders to be almost demigods. And we fawn before them and we bow before them and we reverence them. And many of you have come from cultural contexts where you don't question the leader because they're beyond question. Well, the writer reminds us that, hang on a second. Hang on a second. It, it, that's not how it ought to be. Even in our Western culture, we, we have celebra- celebrity pastors where, you know, they're famous. And there's this following where we fawn over them. And then the writer says, hang on, it's Jesus. He's the only one that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We should never lose sight of, of who we're actually following. You know, there's a, a story told about um, uh, Mark Twain. That even though he, his mom was a Christian, and I think he was even married to a Christian, that the Christian leaders that he was exposed to had such a radical effect on his own faith. That he, he just couldn't reconcile these, these leaders that he saw in churches speaking very piously on Sunday. But then during the week he heard them you know, speaking foul language and lying and were dishonest in their business practices. He just couldn't reconcile that. And he, he couldn't reconcile these leaders who from the Bible uh, advocated the ownership of slavery. And many of these leaders who owned slaves and mistreated them and abused them. And, and for Mark Twain he's like, I don't understand that. You see, if we focus on a leader... It will shipwreck everything. And so often people have been turned off God, turned off church because of a leader. And I don't excuse it because the leaders that they have experienced horrible things from have been horrible. But the writer reminds us that Jesus is the one we should be focusing on. No matter how good your leader is or how bad they are, keep your eyes on Jesus. Which is what he told us in Hebrews 12. He said, keep, keep your eyes firmly fixed on the author and the perfecter of your faith. It's Jesus alone that we ought to be focusing on. Don't lose sight of that. Leaders, remember who's really in charge. Remember who the boss really is, who the head of the church really is. There's only one head and it's not you and it's not me. It's the eternal Son of God, the Lord of all creation. Remember your place. Do not, as Paul says in Romans 12, think more highly of yourself than you ought. Come to your leadership with great humility, acknowledging that Jesus alone is the eternal one that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that your season will come and go, and you will fail, and you will have shortcomings. You will have, you will have limitations. Jesus is the infinite one. And our role as leaders is to keep pointing people to him to his supremacy, to his sufficiency, to his greatness, to his eternal grace. It's Jesus. Jesus is the focus. And then as we jump down to verse 17, have confidence in your leaders, the NIV says, but many translations say obey. Obey your leaders. Trust and obey. This is... There's no easy way to get around this. It's probably not what you want to hear when it comes to talking about leaders. And yet, it's there in the Bible. It's there in the Bible. Again, let me, let me qualify this by, by saying that the writer here, he's writing to people that are no different to us. 
It's not like they were sitting there going, oh, yeah, okay, that's cool. I'm going to trust and obey my leaders. No, because he gives them a reason. If it was that easy, he would have just said, just do it. But he gives them a reason. Have confidence or trust and obey your leaders. Why? Because they keep watch over you. That's the reason. That's the reason. And when leaders are doing that, when they're guardians, when they're being shepherds, when they're protective of their flock, when they're doing their job, it's not hard to trust and obey. You know something I've noticed? No one ever argues with a lifeguard when you're drowning. Right? You just don't stand there or bobbing up and down in the ocean going, well, hold on a second. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to trust that that plan is, is going to work. Why? Because you know that they're only there for one reason. They don't have to be there. They're volunteers. They're there because their mission is to keep you safe and to rescue you and to bring you back. I wonder if we see leadership that way. Truthfully, probably not. And reason being, many of us have not experienced that in leadership. That's just a reality. That's sad. It's an indictment on the church. But that's being real. We've experienced hurt. We've experienced horrible failures. We've experienced disappointment. And so that's why you can see that following and leading go hand in hand that as leaders recognize that they're called by God to be guardians, to watch over people. And when we get that right, then having people trust and obey is a natural flowing out of that. And so the writer says, you know, again, not, not blind obedience. This is not about not thinking. Because again, the word that he uses there carries the idea of um, once you're convinced that the course of action is correct. That's the kind of word it's talking about. It's not saying uncritically don't think about it. If the leader says it, just obey it. No, the, the way that the writer is describing it is once you're convinced in the leader fulfilling their role to care for you and to guard you and to be in your corner and to want what's best for you, then trust them. And obey them. And so as leaders, we need to be working hard to be people that are trustworthy. We need to take seriously our responsibility to shepherd God's flock. We need to take seriously our calling to be lifeguards who are out there and that we're willing to risk our own interest, our own safety, our own well-being for the cause of Christ and for the people that he's entrusted us. When we have leaders that are characterized by that passion and that commitment, then trusting and obeying comes easily. The last thing, if that was difficult and that was challenging, the last word he gives us is even more demanding and challenging. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you. Submit to their authority. Submit and follow. Submit and follow. You see, leadership without authority is not leadership. I don't know what context you might find yourself in, whether it's at work or in your family or in a friendship group or whatever it is. If, if, if somebody has a designated role as a leader and they don't have the authority to follow through, then they're not a leader. Leadership without authority, I think, does not exist. So the Bible tells us that God appoints leaders, not just in the church, but everywhere. 
And when we read the accounts in the Bible, some of those leaders weren't great people. And that really messes with our brains. Our political leaders, our organizational leaders, might not be Christ-like in their character. And yet, often in the New Testament, we're told to relate to them as though God has appointed them into those positions of authority. That's difficult. It's even harder in the church because we expect more from our leaders. And again, the writer knows that. And so he gives us a reason. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. You see, leaders won't get away with anything because they're not the chief shepherd. They're under shepherds. They too are men and women under authority. They too, like all of us, will have to stand before the head of the church, the Lord of the church, and have to give an account for everything that was done in his name. So the the pain and the hurt that was inflicted on you by a, a Christian leader, they will give an account for that. And so our submission and our following of leaders is to really trust the Lord of the church. It's to trust the Lord of the church. And I love the fact that this instruction comes at the end of all the others because he's asking them to do something very, very difficult and counterintuitive, but he's asking them to trust people who've taught them God's word faithfully. He's asking them to trust people who they have considered their character and they've observed their life and they see a congruence between their profession and their living These are leaders who've demonstrated that they are themselves following the the lordship of Christ in their own life. They are leaders who've already shown that their heart is to watch over you, to guard you, to invest into you at personal cost to themselves. They are leaders who've demonstrated that they have a clear understanding that they are under authority themselves. They're accountable and they have that humility and that reverence, that that they lead out of. When, when you have leaders like that, he's saying, well, follow them, trust them, obey them, remember them, but keep your focus on Jesus. Because no matter how good they are, they're not going to be able to be there for you all the time. No matter how godly they might seem right now, they're human and they will fail. And so he concludes with his final instruction. Verse 18, he says, pray for us. Pray for us. And then in verse 20, he's praying for them. And so this beautiful picture of partnership, the the last three points are really all about partnership. As leaders use their Christ-given authority in humility and reverence, and as they guard the flock, and the flock responds in the same way, and they partner with the leaders to work alongside each other, and the, the, the followers are praying for the leaders, and the leaders are praying for the followers. There's this idea of partnership, of working together. You see, the writer knows that at the end of the day, it comes down to prayer, is seeking God, that we can be an authentic community that relates well to each other. And that's about making Jesus known. And so he says, when we live this way, the result that flows out of it will be good. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a, that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. So this is as a leader, he's saying, pray for us so that we can continue to be the kind of leaders that you would want to follow. 
Leaders who have a clear conscience. Leaders who are living honorable lives themselves. And then he gives his instruction in verse 17 as, as to why they should live this way with leaders. He says, do this so that their work will be a joy, a delight, bring pleasure, bring happiness, and not a burden. That word means grief or pain. And then he says, for that would be of no benefit to you. So not only is he saying, when leaders and followers relate well together in partnership with this understanding of Christ being at the center, it's good for the community. It's good for the leaders because their job is a delight and it's not a burden. It's not full of pain and frustration and discouragement. But it's also good for you because when leaders are leading well and Christ is at the center and we're doing this thing according to God's word, it's good for you. The other would be of no advantage, of no profit, of no benefit to you. And many commentators feel that what the writer has in mind is not just about here and now present realities, but ultimate realities. When you stand before God and has this mind, has, the writer has in mind what Paul had in mind when he talked to the Thessalonians about one day on that day of judgment, when I stand before God, I pray that you would be my greatest joy, that you would be my crown that I celebrate in, seeing you there presented before my Lord and Savior, complete and perfect in your faith. That is my greatest joy. That is what I'm longing for and desire more than anything that's from a leader's point of view and he's saying from a human point of view if we don't listen to the teaching of our leaders if we don't allow them to speak into our life and if we don't listen and follow and obey then we might stand before Jesus and find in that day that all of that was of no advantage to us that it didn't benefit us that we might find ourselves lacking in that day And so the writer invites this community after 10 chapters of telling them how Jesus is superior, greater in the midst of their their persecution and their hardship. And then in chapter 11, reminding them of the centrality of faith and what that looks like and how it will enable them to withstand persecution. And then in chapter 12, reminding them of the centrality of the cross and how it informs their understanding of suffering and present pain and hardship. And then he gets to this chapter where he's he's talking in practical details about how they are to live in light of God's faithfulness. He reminds us that at, at some point as a community, as an organization that God is working through, we need to get this right in how we lead and how we follow now, I'm thankful to God for the leaders that we have. I work alongside them, and I know their heart is to care for people. They're amazing, and they're shepherds, under-shepherds. They really are. They're guardians. Our connect group leaders are that. Our ministry directors are that. And I pray that as, as a leadership in this community, we would grow in, and excel in this more and more and more that Christ would be our chief shepherd, that Christ would be our example, that Christ would be the reason why we do what we do, and that we continually transform by the gospel and lead out of that place of healthy inner confidence. That it's because we're secure that we can lead well. And I want to pray for us in our relationships as we follow, whether it's our connect group leader or our ministry director or the eldership team or the board or whatever place where you function under or your team leaders on a Sunday team, that we follow well. That we follow well with the same desire to honor Christ and to glorify Him. 
that we follow out of having the gospel transform our own heart and lives. And we follow out of a sense of wanting to bring him glory in the church. And that when people come in, they see a community that is relating well to each other as followers and leaders because we've been transformed by the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ that has set us free from needing to control and dominate and oppress and also set us free from having to rebel and resist and and push against. Sets us free from both. And that's the kind of church I, I believe that we have. And that's the kind of church I want to continue being. And, you know, if, if there are things that you want to talk about, about the way I lead or things that trouble you or concern you, or, uh, please tell us because we want to be faithful as leaders. We want to be guardians and we want to be shepherds and we want to honor Christ. And if it feels like we're kind of drifting or we're kind of losing our way in, in some way and we're, we're drifting from the, the truth of God's word, please speak up. Don't, don't feel like you don't have a voice. Because together, I really believe that God is wanting to shift our hearts so that we can be a community that glorifies him. Why don't you bow your heads? Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, will you speak to our hearts? Father, I pray that you'll speak to every leader, whatever capacity they're in leadership in, whether it's in the church, in their workplaces, in their schools, in their communities. Lord, this truth applies to them too for every leader in their family, for every parent, for every person who is in a discipleship relationship with someone. Will you speak? Will you convict us? Will you challenge us to reflect Jesus more? And I pray, Lord, for us who are in relationships where we are following others. I pray particularly, Lord, for those who've been hurt by leaders. Lord, there's been so many stories of hurt and abuse and pain in every context of leadership, from the home to the marketplace and sadly even within the church. And so we own that, Lord. We take responsibility for that and we ask for your forgiveness and we repent of that. And we pray, Father, will you shift something in our hearts? that we would not resist the leaders that you've placed over us under your authority, but to have authority over us. Godly men and women who care for us. But Lord, I pray that we would not be so enamored and so focused on them that we lose sight of Jesus, both as followers and as leaders, that we would be about him, that we would be about pursuing him, conforming our lives into his image by your spirit, coming into alignment with the teachings of his word. Lord, that as a faith community, we would reflect this incredible richness of leaders and followers relating well because of the transformation that's taken place in our hearts that only Jesus could have accomplished by your spirit. Lord, I pray that in this moment of stillness, if there are adjustments that we need to make, if there are things that we need to let go of, 
if there are attitudes that we need to bring before you, if there are areas of negligence or compromise that we need to bring into alignment with your word, if there are things that we need to remember and respond to that are in your word, then Lord, by your spirit, will you do that work in our hearts right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Worship you, Lord. Why don't we stand together? Let me pray. Ask for God's blessing on us as we go. If you'd like prayer for anything this morning, please come and let us pray with you. We have a prayer team that will be delighted to, to pray with you, to encourage you, to minister to you, whatever your need might be. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, we'd love to talk with you about this incredible story of the creator of the universe who humbled himself and became a baby and came with a desire to serve you and to give his life as a ransom, as the Bible says, so that you could know him, so that you could be in a relationship with him, so that you could not be separated in a lost eternity from him because he loves you so much and he wants to change your heart and make you a new person so that you would reflect him into a world that does not understand any of the stuff that we've talked about today. I would love to talk with you and pray with you. Father, I ask for your blessing to rest on us as we go, as we fellowship, as we have morning tea together. We pray that, Lord, your grace will be upon us. And, Lord, as we go into this week, Lord, that your favor and your peace, your shalom will abide on us. Help us, Lord, to live this out, these truths out that we've heard from your word today. Wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves as leaders or as followers, that we might bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.